Coming up on this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we have a chat with rising PGA Tour star Colin Morikawa and discuss the winner of our mock masters. My God, my swing feels like an unfolded lawn chair. Why do they even have water if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun. We're having fun. What is this, custom? Mine's off the rack. I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it live. Welcome back to the Golf Digest podcast. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined by Sam Wyman, Daniel Rappaport. Uh, week four or five, losing track here of being in quarantine, quarantine uh, doing it from home. Guys, obviously, uh, pretty interesting week, I must say. I, I didn't, I don't know, I kind of got swept up in all the, uh, the Masters nostalgia, watching a lot of, uh, you know, watching the 97, watching 90, uh, 2005, obviously over the weekend, watching 2004, 2019. Um, what did you guys, did you guys get into it, watching the old stuff? Totally. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, you know, uh, in addition to the, you know, the real pain points of this whole situation, um, last week was the most pronounced uh, sort of feeling of, of really lamenting uh, yes. and missing golf. I, and I, I was taken aback by how, you know, impactful it was on me. I have just photos of us at Augusta. And then you start watching all of these, um, these recasts of, of past tournaments and it just killed me. So it was in, in a good way, you know, it just made you really appreciate it. Um, but it also hit me hard. Yeah. I, for me, it's, <clears throat> we, you know, Alex, you know, this, we've been doing the masters rewatch thing on our website. So right. watching old masters, I've been, I've been doing that for the past two weeks. Right. So I'd be lying if I said I watched all the ones that were on CBS just because I'd watched so many over the past couple of weeks. But um, to echo what Sam said, yeah, I think Thursday was kind of the toughest because, I don't know, this thing about the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, everyone's in a good mood, all the players, everyone's excited about their chances. You, you know, you're reading all these preview pieces, all these predictive pieces. And then on Thursday, finally, the tournament starts. And everyone uh, turns on their, their tracker because the TV doesn't start and, and everyone's following how their, their picks and their players are doing and, and, and all that hype kind of goes away and it's just a golf tournament. There's something sort of pure about it. Um, and and I, I did really miss it on Thursday and it just made me really, um, I, think, I think everyone's going to appreciate the Masters a lot more in November if it does indeed happen in November. Um, so let's, let's just hope that we get that opportunity. Yeah, you know, our uh, guy Yoakum had spoke with Jim Nance earlier in the week, and there was a little bit of news in there in that he had recorded these interviews with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods ahead of the rebroadcast of the 20, uh, 2004 and the 2019. But I don't think anyone realized it was going to turn out that good. I mean, that was great TV. Um, and I think even Saturday watching – as they would, you know, uh, intermittently go to it, these interviews with Phil, um, I think everybody thought, well, this is great, but there's no way Tiger's going to do this <laughs> tomorrow. But he did. And I mean, they, they would go to him maybe, I don't know, every hour for a few minutes and kind of recap what, what had been happening in the final round up to that point. I, I thought in particular, Tiger going through the 12th hole and everything that was going on there was, was fascinating. Um, I know we've heard him talk about it, but he just seemed to be even more candid about everything and, and going more in, in, in detail with, with Jim. And, um, and then the end was just spectacular uh, with, with Tiger getting emotional going through, you know, praising Joe LaCava and then talking about embracing his family and his, his son and his daughter and, and his mother. Um, it, it was just, I thought it made for really great TV and, and really added a lot to the broadcast. Yeah, I think it's something that it, this sounds kind of silly to say out loud, but something that we don't appreciate maybe so much about Tiger is how smart he yeah. is. Golf, um, I mean, he's, golf extremely, he's extremely well spoken. He's very emotionally intelligent. He understands the significance of things. He understands why things are important, why things resonate the way they do. I mean, this is a guy who went to Stanford for two years, and uh, just just having talked to him before, he, he's a, he's a very intelligent person. He thinks things through yeah. a lot, and I think people think because he was so guarded um, in his prime. He, he was so reluctant to give anything up that they think maybe it wasn't in there, but he was just, it, it was, it was always in yeah. there. He's, he's always thought this way and he, he has an incredible memory and he remembers certain moments and, and certain moments that, that, you know, were made a mark on his brain. So it, it's always really awesome listening to one of the smartest golfers ever talk about golf. And then when you also add the emotional aspect into it, um, yeah, he just, he really came off like a, like a thinker. Well, the, the, the emotional element was the part that really got me because I've, you know, he is, um, 
we've talked about his sophisticated golf mind and yeah. his ability to sort of process uh, situations and various factors um, before. And, and, you know, he's talked about, you know, walking down 11 and seeing Kepka's ball and realizing what kind of shot he needed to hit and just the way he, he thinks things through that part uh, certainly impressive and, and, and interesting, um, but not necessarily new. What was really new to me and really revealing was, um, you know, the emotions like no, you know, noting that he saw Charlie and Sam on the seventh hole and didn't see them again. And then, um, you know, walking up the catwalk and seeing Charlie and, and all the, you know, as, as a parent, all the things that you would process as in those situations, that was the most unguarded I've ever seen him uh, certainly when talking about his family and his emotions. Yeah. And I think there's maybe some people think that the new tiger where he's, he's more open and he's more honest and he's, he smiles more that maybe that's not authentic. But if you, if you watch the video, the golf TV video um, that was posted last week with, with the team tiger. So Rob McNamara, his best friend, uh, Mark Steinberg, who's been his agent forever. Um, and Joe, his caddy, there's a part where more Mark Steinberg talks about like he, he is different. And, and if Mark Steinberg's saying that, you know, it's real. He said he enjoys the process. Now he, he has a greater appreciation for everything. And it's one thing to hear people like us say, oh, he seems to be more appreciative. He seems to be, but for someone who, who knows him as well as, as Steinberg does to say that, it shows you that this change hasn't just been surface level. It, it, it's real. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, Sam brings up the stuff with his kids. And I, I love that he brought it back to 2018 the open championship. I was there and I going back, you'd have to, I think you'd have to go back to when he won, obviously that first major after the death of his dad. And he cried obviously at, at, at Hoylake, you'd have to go back to that point to see as much emotion as he showed in 2018 after losing. And I loved how he even said, I blew it. I blew the open mm-hmm. uh, because he blew it in front of his kids. And he, yeah, devastated that day and I was right there when he walked off that 18th green and you could tell when he even addressed the media a few minutes later he almost started he got a little choked up saying how how badly he wanted to win and show them that he could still win so you know that was still obviously in his head a few months later and for him to get it done that that soon after that was was incredible but but for him to kind of recap that uh, like you said Dan I mean it, it is totally genuine there he doesn't let his guard down often but um, he did in this case, and uh, it, man, it really made for some great TV. It's an interesting parallel. I hadn't even really thought about it until just now. But you mentioned uh, his emotional outburst in 2006 at Hoyt Lake after his dad died. The 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 uh, preceding that was the 2006 Masters when his dad was hmm. fighting for his life, and he desperately he's talked yes. about this before desperately wanted to win. Right. For his dad, wasn't at the course that day because he wasn't well enough to come. Right, his dad course. wasn't at wasn't there. But Tiger, to win. Tiger was in the mix. Yep. That, yeah, that was uh, Phil's year, right? So 2006 mm-hmm. with Phil and Freddie. But Phil's I think Tiger. Yeah, um, I think I think Tiger was top five. That, oh yeah, you know he had a chance. I think that was, terribly, yeah. from what I recall. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, that was the other. That was sort of the the equivalent yeah. of the 2018 Open, right? In terms of wanting to win and prove it to, for other people and feeling disappointment of not. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting because you think someone like Tiger Woods doesn't need to prove anything right. to anyone. You, think, you know, he's the greatest, one, one of the two greatest golfers of all time. Um, but it shows that no one's above wanting to show their dad or their kids that I can do this, that this is cool, that, you know, I, wanting to perform in front of the people who matter to them most. So it's just extremely relatable um, um, above anything else. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was great. I, again, I, I'm amazed how much I... I ended up watching again. I know everybody probably, you know, I'm kind of a Tiger fan, obviously, but uh, I didn't really plan on watching the whole thing and I ended up getting sucked in. Oh my God. It was so good. And I I told, I was texting you guys yesterday. It was amazing because whatever, I mean, for what it's worth last year during the, during the actual tournament, uh, you're processing a million things, trying to keep track of the tournament. And then, and then when it was apparent that he uh, had a chance to win on 18 as an editor, just a little inside, uh, baseball, there's like this decision, like, all right, do you go out to the actual golf course to try to watch that yeah. knowing that you're going to not see anything? No. And I made the decision. I think, I don't know what your deal is. I think you did the same thing. Alex. I ran out there and ran out there. I saw nothing. Yeah. <laughs> As did I. Right. I, I would argue in hindsight, I'm so glad I did because yeah. it was such a, you know, iconic moment recognizing, you know, I saw literally nothing. I never saw his tee shot on 18. 
Um, I, I think I probably saw his pitch up to, you know, his third shot from there, but barely, and he just couldn't see anything. And so I experienced that really for the first time, um, you know, yesterday I had seen the video of him right. going out and walking and all that, but, but, um, and it really is, I, I mean, again, I, my memories of 86 are very, are very you know vague. So I, I don't want to say it, but like, I can't imagine a more emotional uh, sequence of television on pertaining to golf that had nothing to do with hitting a golf shot right from the moment he holds out to the moment he walks his corner it is it is amazing it's amazing and yeah, that I actually was able to see that part I, I i went from the media center to the golf course after he hit his i didn't see his tee shot on on 18 like i didn't even see it on the on the media center i left after after he made par on 17 and couldn't see anything the only shot i saw him hit all day i went when he made the turn at nine i went to try to go see 10 the only thing i could see from 10 was his his third shot which was probably the like least important shot, or least sexy shot yeah. to get all day. It was like a wedge that went to like 25 feet and ends up making bogey. And I remember thinking there's absolutely no chance I'm going to see anything else. So I went back to the media center, get back on 18. I'm surprised you saw the chip. I couldn't get anywhere near I couldn't near see the, the chip. Yeah. And I was hanging out by the tree that all the writers talk about where the guys do the interview. Mm-hmm. And you could see Tiger kind of walk through. And it was just one of those moments where you just kind of looked around and just you, you made a mental note to drink everything in because that was my first Masters I'd ever been to. Mm-hmm. So people were saying it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. Like you, yeah. you're never, never going to experience anything like that before. Like, like that again. Right? Yeah. I was camped out by the, by the, uh, where they go to sign the scorecards. And uh, so I didn't see him until literally right at the end of that walkthrough when, and they show him high-fiving, you know, with Bubba and, and Brooks and, and Xander and Bernhard and him going in there to sign his card. So I didn't see him till that, or I guess I think Justin Thomas's dad was the first person I yeah. who got him. Um, but I was just waiting there, and you could hear that he was coming. And and still, I agree. I mean, even though I couldn't see anything, it was still amazing uh, just to be out there. By the way, watching some of these earlier 2004, Phil walks off, hugs his family, and goes right into that scorer's tent mm-hmm. that's set up there. But so that being moved and got they got rid of that. Yeah helped make this even a better moment i think because you had that long walk of with dagger yes. through the crowd with with charlie you know high-fiving a few he like oh, almost takes some woman's hand off with a vicious high oh my god it, it, but it's by, so good yeah by contrast um uh, jordan spieth in 2016 after you know completely collapsing right. on the back nine makes that walk. And that walk is one of the saddest walks. Yes. And he even, I, I think he told like a cameraman, get it and leave yeah. it alone. Yeah. That, that was yeah. rough, but yeah, they didn't used to have that long walk. Phil like ducks right into the, the scores thing there. They, they got rid of that, which uh, ended up being make, making it even better. I like tiger threw a little dagger too at uh, his family though. He's, they didn't walk the back nine. We found out they, yeah. that's why you didn't see this. You can't see anything. They don't give. It's true. Well, There's actually, no point. You can't see anything. Families don't get inside the ropes ever on the PJ tour, which is always kind of odd to me. Like the girlfriends and stuff, they have to go outside the right. ropes, but no one gets inside the ropes. Okay. Guys, so you have no chance unless you're camped out all day. Right. You, there's no like following the group the whole way. You have to wait at a certain hole. Right. And you're going to see anyone. Exactly. Um, but anyway, it was, it was a uh, really good TV. And then, you know, I wanted to mention, obviously uh, before we get into our, our, master's moments rank ranking that we did which was a heated heated debate <laughs> uh, i do want to mention is say congrats to patrick reed for winning the mock <laughs> masters golf digest uh rick gammon uh a statistician and a fantasy guru ran all these crazy numbers he's a lot better at math than us and um as he he followed up a tweet that i said and he said uh, people were starting to complain that patrick reed won he said i just pushed the buttons that's that's all i do but <laughs> and then uh, shane ryan uh, for us wrote it up and, and made it really entertaining but uh, for those who didn't see it patrick reed ended up winning i think by three shots over uh yeah. cory connors and tyrell hatton and and tiger and rory were in the mix going to sunday but tiger they both shot like 75s i mean so right, that would have right. really been I, i'm glad we watched 2019 instead of that i mean that that would have been a real real letdown but um yeah sam let's talk about our our moments because we uh we teased it last week we didn't want to give it away and we kind of released it throughout the week obviously over the weekend we we did the final five and and mm-hmm. The heated debate for us, I think, really came down to the final nine. Uh, yes. Right? Is we kind of had to regroup and, and rank yeah. just nine and come back and figure that part out. 
Right. I'm the least mathematically inclined person uh, <laughs> in this group for sure. However, I do will say that uh, the way we decided to do it was um, we kind of came up with a pool of, you know, 80 potential master's moments. So that was sort of a group think people deciding some things that deserve to be, to be mentioned. And then what we did, there were five of us. And what we did was uh, we ranked each of those, um, each of those 80 moments uh, on a scale of one to five, five being, extremely impactful you know deserves to be a top five moment uh, to well you could have done zero which just doesn't belong on the list right and then one two three four so anyway we had nine scores that were perfect perfect, perfect score, score of, right. of of 25 i'm such an idiot yeah we, we, was five, we it was five so anyway so we had we had nine scores of 25 uh, at which point we had to hash out that and then we went went back and ranked it and you're right it really you really get you know splitting hairs at that point you know of how do you distinguish between um Gene Sarah's and shot her around the world and Larry Mize holding out tiger winning last year, mm -hmm. tiger's hug in 1997. Uh, but it's interesting just all the factors went into it. We, we talked about why, and you and I were the two guys that had uh, the 2019 version so high because of the emotional impact of him winning, even though yeah. one could argue that from a golf standpoint, the actual kind of, you know, golf highlights from that, there weren't that many, right? There was a whole sequence on 2000, uh, on 12, and there was the, the tee shot on 16, but didn't have like the Phil birdie putt on 18 or right. the chip in on the Tiger Man on 16. So it's just, it's all, I mean, it's all subjective of course. at this point. Um, but uh, our, our top five were Tiger's chip in in, in, in 2005. Mm -hmm. Four was, I got I have a list in front of me. I should know this. Uh, I got it. Uh, yeah. Four was the shot heard around the world Gene so i heard around about saracen's right yep. then it was then it was uh yes uh 2019 which Tiger. you and i again like you said you and i were pushing for more i feel a little bad it's only number three i i, I think it should have been higher but whatever well i think it's it, it speaks to the distinction that we tried to draw with this list it's not the best masters ever it's Correct. like the best little Correct. nuggets Correct. 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 it's literally like if you had put a put a heart rate monitor next to you what were the moments that got your heart rate going or, or kind of, you know, struck you on some level. Right. Uh, and, and that's why for me, and again, 97, that's right in my wheelhouse of like falling in love with golf yep. and how important that was. But I would argue that that was, he won by 12 shots. He won by it 12. wasn't that, it wasn't that climactic. And he was, so, so like that was a slow burn for four days of how amazing that was. That's why I argued it didn't belong to be, which was ended up being number two on our list. Right. And then number one, I mean, was, was yes, sir. Uh, Jack's putt on 17, taking a lead. Uh, you know, God forbid you argue against that because you get gunned down. Oh, God. Building from I mean, um, kill. MJ yeah. will have a head. Yeah. I, and I get it. it. It it really is the most, you know, the most important masters. It's the, you know, it's the greatest player of all time or one of the greatest players of all time shooting the best back nine at, at, at you know, at age 46. It's hard to argue with. So, and the call, the iconic Vern Lundquist exactly. call makes it all. Although yeah. it's funny, I was just watching again before Tiger came on yesterday, the 86 highlights. I think it was on yesterday, whatever it was. And uh, Vern gave a huge yes, sir, when Norman makes his putt at 17. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but right. he, didn't, he didn't give it the maybe yes, sir. He just gave it the big yeah. yes, sir. But uh, we'll, we'll let Vern go with that. Yeah. It, was, it was a great call. And yet, that's what this list was interesting. Like you said, Sam, I mean, of course, it's all subjective because we're talking about moments here. We're not talking about Nicholas even winning in 86. We're talking about that putt, which ended up being the winning putt. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you know, how do you compare that to Tiger hugging his dad after the blowout to last year? Yeah. I still think last year um, just kind of, you know, there's a tendency for us to always overrate more recent stuff, you know, with recency bias, yeah. of course. But I think last year ended up getting hurt by that because, you know, we've been waxing poetic about Nicholas in 86 for over three decades. And, and we really haven't had time to do that about Tiger's return to glory as Jim Nance. Yeah. It. And so I, I almost wonder if in 50 years, and I kind of said this, I debated um, Mike Johnson on 86 versus 2019 as a tournament. Also, I wonder what we'll say in, in 30 more years from now, because when you really give it uh, proper time to be evaluated, it, it might change in ranking. And who knows if Tiger, let's say Tiger wins three more masters, then maybe, maybe, it goes back a little. I, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I, I think we nailed the top nine, the fact that um, they all had those perfect scores and the fact that uh, your son even picked out eight of yeah. them, which was incredible. Yes. Um, yeah. So – Good stuff. Yeah. Well, 
I want to draw attention to one notable omission, okay. which so, I think is my favorite golf shot ever. Okay. So 2013. 2013. Okay. It's pouring rain. It was, it was Scott, a, one of our last cuts, Dan. Adam Scott has just made a 20 footer on 18 yes. to become everyone's saying he's going to be the first Australian to ever win the masters. Yep. Going crazy, everyone's celebrating. He's jumping up he's and down. Dead, Jim Nance, dead. come on, Ozzy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he says, Come on, Ozzy. Jim Nance is saying, Unreal, and he's basically already won the yep. tournament. Meanwhile, Angel Cabrera lurks in the 18th fairway. <laughs> Angel Cabrera at the time was ranked 273rd in the world. He was an he was completely an afterthought. Obviously, Angel Cabrera had at that point two PJ Tour wins, Masters, and the US Open. Okay, he's a chance to absolutely snipe another uh, major. He's in the fairway. It's pouring rain. People are go- trying to rush up to the 18th green to celebrate. So he has to turn in his broken English and say, quiet, please, to the crowd. He says that himself, okay? His son is on the bag, okay? His son's on the bag. He has his nine-iron approach from the middle of the fairway. He flushes it. He immediately starts screaming, vuele, vuele, <laughs> which means fly in Spanish. It pitches on the front edge of the green, bounces up, checks the two feet, he taps in, and they're on to the playoff. That is the, the amount of stones in that man to come up with that shot in that moment, I couldn't believe it wasn't. Hey man, I, it, it's a really we had it on there. But it was go ahead, one of our last cuts, I swear, Dan. And and in fact, I think it might have even been in the original fifty. And then yeah, we you know there were a few things we'd forgotten. Freddie Couples ninety two, uh, mm-hmm. a couple of there. You know the problem too is Dan. We had a de- we had a big debate over whether we split certain things up. So like, um, so like uh, Tiger had a couple moments last year. Uh, the right. shot on 16 made it is right. I think in the teens somewhere. And then obviously yeah. the, the tap in makes it. And then I think the big debate was Hoke missing the putt and then Faldo. Faldo making it. Yeah, we had them both. Right. right. We, we ended up going with both because I'm sorry. I mean, those are two distinct highlights. So when we did that, we needed to create space. And unfortunately for Angel, he got booted. Uh, I mean, we also could have gone with Angel making that par in the first yeah. playoff hole when he ricocheted one off a tree, if you remember, and he stayed in the playoff, oh, yeah. he ended up winning the Masters. So Anhel's got some great moments. Don't get me I, wrong. I, but- I, I would argue that what what it's a little bit of a victim of the fact that it's an, an untidy storyline. And mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, he didn't go on to win, he lost in the playoff. Like, okay, it was an amazing shot. And at the time, it was incredible. incredible. But the fact that he ended up losing. The other one that falls in that category, uh, for but obviously was very high on the list, is – Tiger's chipping in 2005 because yeah. it is, I would say, yeah. I would say it's the greatest shot yeah. in the history of golf. Literally like in terms of degree of difficulty and, yeah. and import the, what, what holds it back is he bogeys the next two holes. Yeah. We were watching the re, the, the, uh, the re-air the other night and my boys and he makes it like, Oh my God, that's the most amazing thing. Yeah. And I was like, all right, let's turn it off. Cause he bogeys the next two holes. I know, it's it's awful. I did the it, same thing. So, I went to bed after watch after yeah. I watched it about 10 times and I shut it off. So, so that's where that's where you know it, you're you're allowed to take some of the historical perspective into account, and that was that was a, another particularly interesting one for us because then I said, well, wait a minute, we got to put the playoff putt that actually won the tournament in, and so we ended. I think it was like number forty-four, but like usually a birdie to win a playoff at the Masters would be a little higher, but hundred percent takes all the credit. And, um, and it's funny if you watching that Butler cabin ceremony, cause I did that year for our Masters re- rewind um, Tiger was pissed. I mean, he, you, when he, when you bring, when Nance asked him about it, basically like, uh, and then I bogeyed those two holes. Like, I mean, he, he couldn't believe that he kind of blew it. And you know, that was when he was doing the swing changes and all that uh, for the second time. So he had to fight through some stuff there, but yeah, Sam, you're right. And that being said, though, we were trying to isolate this to specific moment, and in yes. just a one moment, forgetting about the two bogeys, you might make a case it's number one. I mean, it's the most replayed shot in golf history, and it's only been around for 15 years. I know, but no, again, no, I, I, know, I know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's if he if he win, if he if he goes on to win the Masters by a stroke, right. It's hands down. Right. It's, it's a no-brainer. But you still can say, well, he wouldn't have even made the playoff if not for that. So, yeah, he wouldn't have made a playoff for except for the three-footer. But he, he might not have bogeyed seventeen or eighteen he because not. he might have played a different strategy and things like that. He so. might not have. And Chris DeMarco yeah. also would have been high on the list had his chip shot on eighteen gone in because yes. that would have wow, that would have turned things yeah. around. Poor guy. It was a rough weekend for Chris DeMarco. Uh, a lot of lot of daggers being thrown. His way. But anyway. Uh, yeah, it's almost cool. They like let they let him back in. You know, he, he thinks that they had this indelible moment where Tiger chips in and then he finds himself in a playoff and he's like, oh, I got a chance again. And then he just gets crushed yeah, again. Just, 
daggered. Um, he, he, man, he had a sneaky, great three-year stretch there. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was, it was fun doing the list. Uh, Dan, obviously, yeah, I wondered what you thought of some of them. I'm, I'm sorry about Angel Cabrera. Uh, if, we, if we expanded it to 100, he definitely would get it. Yeah, it's just well, – the one thing that, that struck me is kind of what, what Sam said earlier is, like, how do you accurately rank something that happened in 1935? Oh, that you was know? true, too. None of us have any idea, like, what – whether that was talked about yeah. and the zeitgeist, you know, like how yeah. big of a deal it really was. Well, well again, and again, the other thing is – I mean, it, the whole list is flawed. Yeah. And I, I said that right in the, in the intro. There's no way to do it properly. The other thing is, like, 1935, they're not repairing. Uh, to what extent were the, were the other X number of players in competing aware that he had double eagle uh, 15 at the time? So, and all of those things factor in. Like, you talk about the roars at Augusta and, you know, the call on TV, all these things that probably were way different back then. So. Yeah, and usually my go-to is to, with these moments, is to read the old Golf Digest stories. Mm-hmm. That happened before – Golf Dynasty right. around. So yes. That was really, really. Yeah. yeah. Our, we, were, we were throwing out this theor- theoretical premise of what would, if there was a golfdigest.com when these things happened. But you're right. There wasn't even <laughs> yeah. a Golf Digest then. So yeah. That's a good point. Uh, anyway, check out the list though, because it'll, it'll live for a while. And uh, we, we, we put a lot of time in it. So I think it yeah. came out pretty good. Although, again, I think Sam and I both agree at least that Tiger last year might have been number one but we'll give we'll let jack have have his uh his number one um all right one guy who has not played in the masters yet but actually got some great news recently uh in regards to the world ranking is colin morikawa he will be making his masters debut when the 2020 masters happens hopefully in november and uh we had a dan and i had a chance to talk with colin over zoom i love these zoom calls dan they're 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 fun yeah, I mean, these guys have nothing else yeah. to do, so they're 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 very uh, they're very willing to participate. That's for yeah, sure. for sure. And uh, and Dan, you had a kind of a, a neat connection with him, and that you've taken a, a lesson from uh, his coach. Yeah, I took his his coach is, is uh, this guy Rick Sessinghouse, who was known as kind of like a mental coach. And my parents were very nice, and I was also a head case. So they sent me to go see him once, and. Uh, didn't work out as well for me as it did for Colin Morikawa. Right. But also, we had another connection. He fostered a dog that he's now adopting during quarantine, Amazing. and I did the same thing. So Colin Morikawa and I are basically the same person. Uh, spirits. Yeah, you're just like Colin Morikawa, except uh, for the fact that he leads the PGA Tour in consecutive cuts made. The guy has never missed a cut as a pro. It's pretty remarkable uh, how, how easily he's made this transition. Picked up his first win already at the Barracuda last year. Uh, anyway, please have a listen to our chat with rising PGA Tour star, Colin Morikawa. All right, we're excited to welcome to the Golf Digest podcast for the first time, rising PGA Tour star, Colin Morikawa. Colin, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. Well, you know, we got to start, obviously, with, uh, I guess, what what have you been up to for the last month? It's been almost exactly a month since, you know, the Players' Championship obviously was canceled after one round. How, how have you been keeping busy and uh, how, how's it going? It's really tough. I mean, it seems like every day keeps going slower and slower. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone's feeling that, you know, what to do. What am I going to do the next day? What am I going to eat the next day? Um, but yeah, you know, after a couple of weeks in, I bought myself a PS4. Hmm. Um, my girlfriend and I just fostered a dog um, who unfortunately is going to be adopted in the next few days already. I, li- so. I literally did the exact same thing last week. It's awesome. I, ha- I mean, we- it is amazing. We had him for five days before we formally adopted him, but literally on the car ride home, my girlfriend was like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not going back to the shelter. Come on. You know, my girlfriend said that and I've like, I've pushed on me like, you know, how are we going to travel? How are we going to, and I know a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of tour guys like them, their girlfriends or their wives, like they, you know, a couple of them have dogs and we see them and I'm like, I don't think we're ready for that. We haven't even had a full season under our belt. Like we don't know what's going on. We don't know what the travel is going to be like, hotels, um, but it has brought so much joy to our lives. And uh, we found this cute little Bichon Frise um, who like was shaved to like her pink skin. Oh my God. I felt so bad for her. Yeah. Ours, uh, but my, she's my, so cute. Yeah. We, we have like a pit bull lab mix who has yeah. like hair spots missing. <laughs> I feel really, really, he's been in a shelter forever. I feel really bad, but you, you did get some good news because you're officially into the masters. Um, I, yeah. We got, so, we did, we did get a call. We did get a call and I was thrilled. Yeah. 
So yeah, I just if our viewers aren't aren't clear because you, you you know you did win a tournament last year, but because it was an opposite field event, it didn't officially get you in. But they cut off the they acted as though the Masters started in April, so everyone who was in the top fifty by the original cutoff date, they're honoring those. So you will be in the uh, twenty twenty Masters, hopefully in November. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. What did what did that call feel like? Um, it was amazing. I mean, so my agent gave me a text, and he's been texting someone. Else. So I got an email from Augusta saying they wanted my information and you know who knows what that means um and this probably was, good know, news a week ago but yeah but you don't want to you know you know you don't want to go on that side of like you know maybe they're doing this for 2021 who knows right. mm -hmm. and um he texts me someone from august is gonna call me um you know about some news and the problem is i have this one office right here that used to be you know a small jack and jill bedroom in this house i've been in um, in vegas and it is the only spot with service <laughs> that i that i can call so i was glued to my phone that morning where when i got that text was waiting for like 30 minutes still didn't know, i didn't know when the call was coming immediately ran to this room got on the call was out of breath and like um it, you know it, it was the best feeling because you know at this point or even since last year after that win i knew i, I wasn't in the masters i had to win or get in the top 50 and and you know both were reasonable goals both were very attainable goals but obviously winning is very tough top 50, you know, I just had to play really solid, um, have some good finishes. And, you know, it really came down to that last week at Bay Hill. Unfortunately, we were able to get that in. And then um, obviously, you know, everything happened since. Yeah, what, you know, obviously with no Masters this week, we've been looking back at, at all the Masters of the past. And uh, Dan and I were joking the other day that almost everyone seems to yeah. say the 86 Masters or the 97 Masters was the first, first Masters. But you would have only been... <laughs> Unsold, so I don't think yeah. I don't think you could have. Been, so, what what was your first real Masters memory uh, of you watching as a kid? I don't even know. I mean, I've watched them every year since I could remember, um, mm. and I have really bad memory. Like, if you ask me about movies, like I'm really bad at mem remembering movies, like things mm. that happened. Um, but like, I've gone through all the highlights. I've gone through everything, you know. So, like, even though I wasn't there, yes, you know, I've watched the '97 Masters highlights. I've watched gotcha. everything. Um, so, you know, for me, and it's tough cause like on social media, Instagram, whatever it is, guys are posting all these pictures of them at the masters, right. um, doing all these things. And I'm sitting here like, you know, uh, I, I just found out a couple days ago that I'm going to be invited. Um, but no, you know, hopefully that thing, you know, the masters does happen in November and I'm able to take my first steps, um, on the property. Cause that, that'll be really cool. So you mentioned that you've been watching the Masters for as long as you can remember. So it sounds like you've been into golf for a long time. Your parents play. What was your start in the game like? How did you get introduced? So my parents, before I was born, they they tried taking up the game. And you know, I, I say try because, you know, it was a very, we'll go to the range. It, it wasn't playing golf. And pretty much since I could remember, you know, or they could tell me, I would remember walking, crawling, whatever it is. I'd follow them to the range. I'd go there. So when I started taking lessons when I was five, they pretty much stopped. You know, they were, they've been the most supportive parents, um, the best parents I could have asked for, um, you know, to come out and, and go through junior golf, college golf, amateur golf, whatever, now professional. Um, they've been the best parents. And my dad used to come to every lesson, you know, wasn't an overbearing parent, but he'd be there for me. You know, he'd understand the game. He knows the game, loves the game. Um, and my mom just, is telling me to go and make birdies every hole. Why am I not making birdie on this hole? What am I doing? Um, she'll read my, I think she just knows how to read a scorecard and just be like, Oh, you know, what is that six there? What, what is that doing there? It's okay. You know, let's go make another birdie the next day. And um, no, they've been awesome. So that's how I kind of got into it. You know, so my parents love the game. They love watching it. Um, they're able to come out quite a bit now, uh, you know, especially the West coast events, the big events. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. What, what, you know, specifically about, you mentioned, so you've never even been to Augusta national as, as a fan or even played, got, got the invite. What, what, what are you looking forward to most about, uh, getting there for the first time? I think just everything. I mean, you, you look at the history, but you, you look at just how the tournaments run, the, the players that respect that event, the players that, you know, want to get back there no matter what time of year. And, and I think that really, you know, means a lot to a tournament like that and a course like that. I mean, the closest I've been is Sage Valley. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have the Sage Valley Junior Invitational, mm -hmm. and that was very eye-opening. Um, but, you know, for me, when I do go there this, hopefully this fall, you know, I have to realize, I have to take a step back and realize 
I'm still there to play golf. I mean, I know everything is going to be, you know, pristine. Everything is going to be spot on the way you want it. But I have to remember that at the end of the day, it's still golf. I, you know, I'm out there to try and win a golf tournament. And, um, but, you know, I know for the first, at least Monday, Tuesday, whenever I get there, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever it is, I'm going to really just take a day to just enjoy it as much as I can, you know, Mm -hmm. go buy some merchandise, go buy some hats, t-shirts, whatever it is that I know I can just have forever and, and wear. Yeah. So you got in by being in the top 50, which is a testament to some pretty remarkable consistency um, already at this point in your career. You you lead the PGA Tour. Tommy Fleetwood missed the cut, uh, I think, at Bay Hill. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you now lead the tour in consecutive cuts made, which is pretty remarkable given you haven't missed a cut since you turned professional um, and you have a win already and you're in the top 50. I'm wondering if when you sit down and you make these plans, obviously you had an, a very decorated amateur career and, and you had, I'm sure, high expectations for yourself. Are you a little bit surprised at all at just how how quickly this has all happened? You you only turned pro ten months ago. Yeah, and it's crazy that it hasn't even been a year. Um, you know, I'm not surprised where like, oh wow, you know, I never thought I could do this. Um, it was something that I always thought there were goals that I set, you know, coming out of college that I that I thought I could achieve, and, and this was one of them. Obviously, winning was a big one, but just getting status, getting my card or, you know, going to Corn Ferry Finals, doing something out of that summer and learning something from there. Um, but for me, you know, I, it, was, it was more of just, a, just setting a lot of high goals. And, you know, I, I think what, you know, you, we talk about the cuts. Um, you know, when I went to Canada, and that was my first start as, as a PGA, as a professional, um, it was like, let's make the cut and then let's see what happens from there. You know, and I finished four, 14th, I think. And it was, you know, it was a really good start. I go to the U S open the next week and it's like, Oh, let's, let's make the cut. It's my first major, you know, it's, it's big to make a cut. And, you know, you know, I, I barely, I made the cut on the number. I was sitting at dinner, I think with my family and my coach, and we were sitting there for two hours in this restaurant and, and literally just scoreboard watching. And like, mm-hmm. I was in, I was out, I was in, I was out. I mean, I remember I, I saw something on Twitter. I saw Patrick Reed, right, break his club on 18, like duffed one. And like, it was just big because like that got me in, <laughs> like not to put him on the butt, but like, yeah, you know, someone's misfortune is going to, is going to be, you know, helpful for you. And I, I go to travelers the next week and that's when all of us rookies kind of were staged together is me, Wolf, Victor, and Justin Suh. They all put us down at a press conference. I know it was Victor's and Matt's first um, start as a pro. And that's when it hit me. Um, I, had, I had heard after our press conference that Brooks had, you know, some media and he said he went from just making cuts to trying to get top 30s or whatever to top 15s, top 10s, top five to winning. And that week, my mentality changed in like a second. I went mm-hmm. from making those, you know, those first two starts of, you know, let's make the cut and, and see what we can do on the weekend to let's win. You know, I, I didn't skip, I didn't go from the top 20s, whatever. It was, let's just go win. And, you know, I had a first, I think I had like three and a half or three good days. Um, and at some point I was definitely top 10, maybe top five. Had one really bad round that, that kind of kicked me out and kicked me farther down. But, you know, that week changed a lot because I, after hearing Brooks say that, it's like, why am I just trying to make cuts? I'm trying to win. And mm-hmm. if you think about making the cut, you always end up near the cut. And, you know, you, you, you don't know which side you're going to fall on. So from that day on, I've kind of changed that mindset of let's go out and win. Obviously, you have to take care of Thursday. You have to take care of Friday. Take care of all the prep work you have to do. Uh, that doesn't mean you're just going to go out and, you know, do stupid things out there. But, you know, what are we there for? We're there to win. And um, from that week on, it really changed a lot. You mm. mentioned, obviously, uh, Victor and uh, Matthew and how you guys have been grouped together. And it's remarkable that you guys have all three already won. Right after that Travelers tournament, you almost won at 3M, and you were playing, I think, with Matthew when he made that eagle putt. Oh, yeah. What what was that like, and and did that even spur you on even more? Because obviously it only took you a couple more weeks to get your first win. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that day was a full roller coaster. I mean, you know, we had the lead overnight. We had to sleep on a 54 hole lead. We get to the range warming up an hour before we lost the lead already. So, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. how that would have played out differently if we still had the lead. Mm-hmm. We were teeing off. We knew we had to make birdies. I started off pretty tough. I think I was 
two over through three or something like that. Um, crawled my way back, had a big lip out on 17. Mm. And then we go to 18, Matt and I are walking down and we're just looking at each other smiling. I'm like, you know, you, you don't see that all the time. And I think that's, you know, just because we're young, this is our first event doing this and we, we were paired together. I think if we were paired with anyone else, we would not have been smiling, <laughs> laughing down the 18 fairway. Um, but, you know, after that tournament, I knew I was very, very close to getting my or securing my card for next year. Mm -hmm. And I think a solo second would have done that. I tied with Bryson that week. So I knew I had three starts. I had, um, what was it? I had John Deere, Barracuda, and Wyndham left. And I could have added one more event in um, to cap off my seven, I think. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the plan. I, I knew I had to take a break at some point. So after John Deere, I took a break. And I, I knew I was going to get it done. I got it done at John Deere. My caddy looked at me. And I've been thankful. I, I've got to, you know, give a shout out to my caddy, JJ Jackovac. He's been one of the best guys I could have added to my team, to my group. Um, it's such a big thing being a professional golfer. And, um, but, you know, aside from that, after the 72nd hole of John Deere, I finished whatever top five, he looked at me and he said, you knew you were going to get this done. And I was like, yeah, you know, why not? Like I knew I was going to earn enough points to get this one, you know, top 125 or whatever it was for this coming year. And, you know, it was just something I knew I, I was going to get done. And after that, then it was like, well, shoot, I only have two more starts or my season's done. Let's go in. I need to get this done. And, um, you know, I just put everything out there. And I think that's what kind of changed the Barracuda was really, let's go again. Let's win. That's the only thing we can do. If we don't, you know, whatever. We're going to go on to one more week. Season could be over. And uh, we'll have a little longer break than expected or, or yeah. wanting. You mentioned your caddy. Uh, I want to ask you about your coach. So I am only two years older than you. And I also grew up in Southern California. I also... <laughs> One, once upon a time, had, had, had dreams of being a professional golfer. And I actually took a lesson with Rick. He won't remember no this. Way. I doubt it. But I went Shulkin? to his little, his little golf course. It was like a kind of par three, couple par fours. Um, I went there and we did like a playing lesson. Uh, yep. I don't remember what the golf course was. But I remember he was a, ment he was a mental guy, more a mental coach than, than swing yeah. instruction. I'm not saying he doesn't do both. I'm wondering what your relationship like is with him, how you guys started working together. And does he, you know, is he, does he help you with your technical stuff or is it mostly mental? Are you more of a, a feel-oriented kind of? kind of learner yeah so i'll start how we met uh we met at shoal canyon i'm guessing that's where it was i mean it's yeah. 18 holes but it's like it's got a bunch of short par threes yeah par i just fours. remember it being like super angly and like you couldn't yeah. really hit was it on top a lot of places yeah that's that's where it was um so what you know I, I like i said i started taking lessons when i was five at the at the same course right there in glendale um and i took lessons from this lady it was a nike it was like this junior camp um and then i took lessons from another guy and Rick was always the guy at the end of the range who was like the guy to go to right at, the, at this course. Mm -hmm. He was the one that the better players were going to. And my dad, one day when I was like eight, um, went over, asked him if I can start taking lessons or Rick. And that's how it all started. So I've been with him for, you know, 15 years now. And it hasn't just been mental game. It's been everything. It's been technical side. And he knows his strengths and weaknesses. I mean, he's really good with the swing. You know, he understands the game um, really well, but we know that short game isn't, you know, our strength and it hasn't. So we've reached out to other coaches. We've reached out to other people that, you know, that that is their expertise and, and whether it's putting, chipping, whatever it is. And, and I think that's what's great about Rick is that, you know, he understands himself. He understands where he's, you know, excelling in, but also where he needs improvement, where he wants to learn. And, uh, you know, um, that's been a big part. So, Yes, you know, he's big on the mental side, but he understands the swing so well. That's, you know, how I've learned the swing through him. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we go back to how big of a mental coach he is. He's worked things into my head, made me think certain ways that, you know, as a kid, I would have never realized and it wasn't mental to me. It was just like him asking me, oh, how do you see this shot shaping? How do you see it a different way? What is this? You know, and, and just things rather than just sitting on the range trying to hit a perfect full seven iron, you know, when do you have that shot? Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned the short game might not be your strength, but you've already established yourself as one of the best iron players in the game in such a short amount of time. I think you're, you're fourth right now in strokes gained approach. Is that the biggest reason why you're so consistent? Why we see the, the cut streak, why uh, your senior year, you were, I think top 10, 11 out of 12 events. Uh, what, what, what is it? about is, is that why you're so consistent and, and you, you never seem to have a bad yeah. week <laughs> well, no, you want to jinx it yeah <laughs> um yeah let's not jinx anything 
you know, you talk about the best players and it's always about their short game. When they're not hitting it great, they're always saving par. And, and you know, the putter is what's going to ultimately put the ball in the hole for you. Um, but, you know, having the ability to hit certain shots and, and hit them really well has been super beneficial for me. Because um, I feel like, and, you know, I've talked about this over with my caddy is that see Rory on the range and it's like, wow, this guy hits just an amazing freaking draw. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I want to hit that. And, and at the beginning of this season, this 2019, 2020 season in the fall, I said, I switched to the TP five X ball. It was a little less spinning, a little harder ball. And I think my game, I wasn't hitting my shot and I had to go back over um, this winter and realize you know, that's not me. You know, I, I hit a cut shot. I, I, that's what I want to hit. Um, so for me, ball striking wise, I, I've got to realize what I'm doing now. And I've got to just remember that over years and years and years um, because that's who I am. That's that's the kind of player I am. So, yeah, I, I think it does help me a lot um, because I understand what shot I need to hit. Yeah. Another guy who's done the majority of his damage with irons over, over his career is yeah. Tiger Woods. Yeah. And I know you played with Tiger. Uh, for the first time at Torrey Pines, yep. um, you guys were grouped together for the first two rounds. We actually spoke about that after the round. You were so impressed by how how nice he was, how willing he was to to talk with you. Talk us through that that experience from finding out you were getting paired with him to playing with him the first two days. I think you you beat him both days, or I th- beat him by a stroke overall. But then yeah, he got I think you, he got me. Got you. Yeah, <laughs> which I was very thankful that you know I am under the same agency, so I have been able to meet him a couple times. The first time I really got to meet him was at the TaylorMade photo shoot, which was in November. So that eased a lot of things. You know, we spent a, pretty much three quarters of a day messing around with a bunch of those guys. You know, Rory, Tiger, DJ, Rom, Wolf was there, um, Jason Day. Like, what a group to be, you know, what a family to be in. Thursday, there weren't as many people. Um, Friday had a little more. But I go out, hit my first tee shot, stripe it down the middle. I mean, we're about we, – we hit it similar distances. You know, he'll get me on one hole. I'll get him on another hole. But immediately after I hit my first tee shot, I'm walking down, not even to the next tee box, and he looks at me, or he's walking behind me, reads my yardage book cover because I went to Cal. It says, go Bears, and that's our saying. And he's like, go Bears, and he gives me, like, this little, like, laugh and smirk. And I'm like – I turn around, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever um because he went to stanford you know huge rival schools and that made it like so much easier and like what an experience to have that you know tiger give you just like this little like a couple words right off yeah first right off the tee and that like made it easier so you know after that first tee shot i think i was a little more relaxed um i had a lot of fun with him um and it, it was really nice you know he's an awesome dude and hopefully i got to play with him a lot more because I, I thought i had a lot of fun um having crowds like that um, yeah, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Well, you mentioned that TaylorMade shoot. I was going to ask you about that. You, you kind of get to know someone when you're wearing a, a Christmas onesie. You get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that how, you know, that we've heard different people talk about that, but, uh, how, were you surprised by that? And how much fun, fun was that? I mean, you're in a photo, uh, with Tiger, Dustin, Rory. I mean, Jason Day, it's pretty, pretty incredible. It, I mean, that day was probably one of the best days I've had as a professional golfer. Um, yeah, obviously winning is, you know, fun. I, I, <laughs> who doesn't like winning? Um, but, you know, aside from golf, getting to know guys off the golf course is like one of the best perks of being a PGA Tour player because these guys are awesome off the golf course and, and the things they do. Um, but, yeah, you know, we're waking up 5.45, 6 o'clock, getting ready. We get there at 6.30. We're eating breakfast. They send everyone off to go get changed. And they're like, oh this is what you guys are changing into. And I look at it and I'm a small, I'm like the smallest guy there. Like me and Rory are five, nine and we're tiny and they only have extra large onesies. And we're like, and I, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm like, okay, whatever. So I put it on. I'm like the first one out and I'm looking at these guys and, and we're just like, what is going on right now? <laughs> like everything's wrapped up and we're just like, what are we doing? And then, you know, we find out that last year, I guess they couldn't do it. They didn't have enough time, so this was the first thing they wanted to do. Ah. Um, so we're all smiling there, laughing, having a great time. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you put us all in a room together. It was a tiny little cottage or whatever you want to call it. We're all in onesies, 6.30, drinking our coffees. And uh, we're smiling. We're having fun. And, like, 
it was seriously one of the best days I could ask for um, to start off my professional yeah, career, those, really. Those tailor-made shoots always result in the best little videos. Like, I always see them on Instagram, you guys talking about yeah. wedge shots and different techniques right. on how you like to play out of bunkers. They've become this this like little gift box for golf fans. It's pretty interesting. Uh, you mentioned getting to know guys on tour. I'm wondering how you've adjusted because last year at this point, you were college student and now you're traveling all over the world uh, all over the country all over the world um how, how's life on tour been treating you how have you have you found it surprising how easy it is difficult what, what's it been like your first year on the road you know i love it and i think that's what you have to be um it's got to be you know a part of you to to actually become a pga tour pro you got to love every part of doing this um you know i don't know about the guys that have done this for 10 15 plus years i'm sure something something gets a little tiring but right now is you know someone young uh, my girlfriend's been able to travel with me, so I haven't been as lonely, you know, going to dinners, finding great dinner spots. That's what I'm about. My girlfriend, we love food. Um, so that's been a big, you know, kind of challenge for us is every single new city we're going to, what are the best spots to eat? Um, and we found some some really good places to go. And, you know, all these guys have been so welcoming. And I, I know, you know, it's probably not like that every year. Um, every year, new guys come out of the college ranks and, you know, they're touted to be this this next whoever the next player the next pga tour star but you know i had dinner with justin thomas my first um week out there in canada um you know gary woodland is texting me after i won after i played well i knew john rom so i knew i knew a small handful of guys which helped coming out of college i, I knew the cal guys i knew michael kim max homo brandon hagee mm -hmm. um so i knew these guys but i didn't know a lot and then as you keep playing, you keep getting better pairings, you play well, um, you know, you, you start to see um, the bigger names. And those are the guys you want to get to know, obviously, mm -hmm. but you want to get to know everyone because when I'm starting off, I'm getting the worst pairings possible. So I'm getting these guys that, you know, probably struggled over the year, um, you know, maybe outside the 125 bubble. So I'm getting to know them. And then as I play well, I'm starting to get to know more players mm -hmm. and getting to know them off the course, having lunches with them made it the best thing. And I'm so thankful for these guys because they've been really nice to me. Um, they've been really outgoing and yeah, you know, they want to, you know, beat the crap out of me on the golf course, but off the golf course, they've been su super genuine guys. Um, and, you know, I, I love every part of it. Like I said, I love traveling. I love meeting all these sponsors that I'm with, um, whether it's a Monday, Wednesday pro-am. Um, so for me, I'm just having fun. You know, I, I love every week. I love going out there. I wish I could be at the, out there every week. Um, but, you know, it's it's tough. It's, it's a lot of travel. Yeah, it's good to be calm Morikawa right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind it. I don't mind it. <laughs> These past few weeks, I wonder, um, you know, how much contact have you had with other guys on tour? Do you do, you do any Zoom calls or anything? anything <laughs> like <that? laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not randomly joined. I keep seeing on Instagram all these celebs. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like live. join these random Zoom calls. Right. Um, no, no. I, if I join, they'd, they'd probably think I'm like another student or something. They'd <laughs> um, be like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, no, you know, I haven't stayed in contact really with too many pros. Um, you know, for me. It's, I've stayed really close with the seniors I graduated from college, the, the golf guys. Um, you know, we had four seniors, including myself, so I, I'm really close with them. So I'm, I'm staying in touch with them. Stay in touch with a lot of high school friends that I've, I've been close with, um, you know, whether it's playing Call of Duty <laughs> on my PS4, um, talking with them. But, you know, I haven't really talked to many guys, um, you know, aside from that, because, you know, that's, that's my friend group. My friend group, are the guys that I grew up playing junior golf, college golf, amateur golf with. And those are the guys I'm closest to. So those are the guys I'm always going to talk to. Um, you know, it's going to be great seeing all these other pros. Um, but, you know, we, we have a handful of pros out here in Vegas where, where I do live now. And, um, you know, not all are on PGA Tour, but they're guys that, you know, like I said, they're, they're my age. Uh, you know, I'm able to talk to them, stay close with them. So it's nice um, to, be, to be with that. How did you, you uh, sorry, you mentioned Call of Duty. I just wondered, so that's been keeping you busy on the PS4, but what, <laughs> what have you been, uh, what have you been watching? Anything good on TV? So, you know, I, I had never watched Dexter. Uh, oh, yes. Netflix, and yeah. my girlfriend, so, I mean, eight seasons, 96 episodes. Yeah. We watched that in less than two weeks. So I, th yes. I think our total was 12 days, 96 episodes. Um, so, you do the math. yeah, you do the math. I'll leave <laughs> to you guys. Yeah. Uh, so we watched Dexter. We finished yeah. um, Ozark. 
Yes. I'm in the midst of Tiger King. Hey, yeah, there it started, is. started um, Lock and Key. Oh, um, I don't know that. Yeah, it's it's a it's pretty good. Um, it's it's only one season right now, but like, yeah, I mean, we have these like spurts. Like right now, I'm like almost tired of Netflix. Like I've watched so much. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, we we've, we've watched a lot of shows, but Tiger King is interesting. We're, I'm, I'm interested to see where this unfolds, and honestly, oh, yeah. there's a lot about it. Uh, I'm curious how you settle on Vegas. Being from California, uh, yeah. a lot of guys end up in Arizona or. Obviously, Jupiter is, emerges as this hotspot for PJ Tour pros. Uh, why Las Vegas? Um, you know, obviously, you don't want to stay in California. Many reasons, taxes, taxes all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but for me, I wanted to stay West Coast. You know, I, I grew up in LA. My parents grew up in LA. I'm a West Coast guy. Um, I still, to me, LA is still home. Um, you know, in my heart. But I had to stay West Coast, so it, it really took out Florida, took out Texas, and it came down to whether it was Vegas or Scottsdale. And I knew a bunch of guys in Vegas. Vegas obviously was a lot smaller, you know, doesn't have as many, I would say, pros as, as Scottsdale as the, as the Arizona area. Um, but I knew I was a lot closer with guys in, in Vegas. And for me, that was a big thing because I wanted to be able to go out and have a match with these guys. Like, that's what we live for. We live for competition. Like, we want to go out and just – that's how I practice. That's how I practice a lot is I'll go out having – group of four, three, whatever it is. And we'll just go have a match, have a game. And, um, you know, from there on, I had to figure out where I was going to play. So luckily, you know, discovery has been very nice. The summit club up here in Vegas has opened their doors to me. Um, so I've been able to go out there and when I do want to practice, I can go there super nice course and do what I need to do. Um, but that's also another thing. So, you know, for all the people, you know, whether it's a junior amateurs listening, you got to have somewhere to play, but you got to have people to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, you know, in that area where you had lessons with Rick, I grew up playing by myself and that's how I grew up. I, I was a member of this 10 hole country club, uh, Chevy chase country club. And I grew up playing by myself, playing with like two other guys that were five, six years older than me, but it was, it was a lot of time by myself. And when I took that step to college, it was so much fun because I got to learn off these guys. I got to play with these guys every day. And as a pro now, you know, that's what I want. I want to be able to play mm-hmm. with other guys, learn off them. Um, and just have fun. So that, that was a big thing. Who am I going to know when I go out and turn pro where I'm, where I'm going to be? Vegas was big. And then am I going to have somewhere to play in summits? Uh, the summit club has been awesome. So, you know, those, those mark the, the two check boxes. It's easy to travel out of, um, get to pretty much everywhere we can in a direct flight it made sense. Colin, I know we we got to let you go in a second. I just want to ask you one more thing. Um, yeah, all good. Um, you did not win Rookie of the Year. It was kind of an awkward time that you turned pro. You didn't get the full season, and now you're not classified as a rookie anymore. Uh, does it bother you that despite all your success, you weren't able to win that award, uh, or was that something that you didn't even think about? So it was definitely nothing I thought about when I first turned pro um that summer at least this past this past summer because it was like i'm using these starts i'm just trying to get my card trying to get some status after i won and i realized oh wow now i'm considered a rookie Mm -hmm. you know that's when it was like oh i've got the playoffs to make let's see how far i can go right then you know northern trust happened didn't play well bmw didn't play well and that that season went by so quick I, i was very happy to be in the race and to, to put my name up there, to have my name in the rookie race being, you know, having only played that summer right. in what, two and a half months is, you know, it, it was, it was awesome. It was a great feeling to have. Now I, yeah, I wish I had a full season to put in that rookie mm-hmm. campaign um, and it would have been cool to win, but you know, that's not going to define my career of, yeah, you know, I won rookie of the year. Um, you know, I'm going to do many things from there. I think I still use that year and I'm like, Oh, you know, it was great. And what I took from, you know, being that rookie conversation is that, yeah, like you said, I'm not a rookie anymore this year. I, I already have that rookie year under my belt. Um, and I think that made this year a lot more, I wouldn't say it, w- it wasn't easier, but it, it was a different mindset. Because when you come in as a rookie, you know, all these guys from the Corn Ferry Tour, and it was weird when we had a, a rookie orientation that I had to go to, um, like, three guys. I knew Scotty Scheffler, Doug Gim, and Maverick McNeely. All these other guys coming from Corn Ferry, I had never, never seen, never known, didn't know who they were. Um, but all these guys are close because they came off the Corn Ferry together. They played a full year. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm sitting there like, yeah, I don't know any of these guys. Like, I, I know everyone else out there on the PGA Tour. I don't know who you guys are. Um, but it almost made it easier because it's like, you know, as a rookie, you have these expectations. I'm sorry, you have these goals. I, I hate expectations because that, to me, expectations are what people put on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a rookie, you have these goals, whatever you set for yourself um, that, you know, rookies need to accomplish. You need to keep your card. You need to, you know, play as many events as you can, do all these things. But for me, you know, I had that rookie stigma off. And, um, you know, some people still call me a rookie, whatever it is, um, you know, the technical terms, because they don't know, you know, what this actual process is. But for me, the mindset is so different because, you know, having that two and a half months under my belt, I'm able to come out here and just come out and try and win. You know, I'm able, it was nice. I'm able to pick my schedule. I'm able to play certain events. Um, and that made it a lot easier too, but you know, having that rookie year gone, um, it's just like, you know, any year, freshman year of high school, freshman year of college, you're a little afraid of what's to come. You don't know what's there and mm-hmm. you just want to, you know, dip your foot in the water and figure out what it's like. And um, thankfully I was able to do that in that really short uh, span of that two and a half months last summer. Definitely. Well, Colin, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, I know you got, you got plenty of time now to work on the putting. So <laughs> yes, no I do. No oh, excuses. No excuses. I will be ready. I will be <laughs> ready, guys. I will be ready. Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing you out there again. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Good luck the rest of the season whenever it uh, picks up again. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Colin Morikawa for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Um, guys, let's talk a little before we wrap up here about the PGA Tour hinting that we could see a resumption of play without fans. What uh, what do we think about that? And uh, does that help kind of speed up this whole process? I think so. I think, um, you know, it's all subject to what experts think is safe and what's not safe. And obviously, if you're eliminating, you know, thousands of people from the equation, it's safer than, than if they were there. So that's the one thing. However, um, you know, having a PGA Tour event, uh, you know, what are the bare requirements that you would need to have a, a tour event? Obviously, uh, you need players. Uh, you probably need caddies. Um, you need TV people because the whole point they're doing this is they can show competition on TV. So how many people in that? And then you start talking about other things like, you know, shot link and rules officials. And so, you know, it's, it's not as clean as one would think. You know, um, we're still learning so much about this virus and what's, what's, uh, what's, what's dangerous and where are people susceptible? One would think, you know, like, uh, Dr. Anthony Fossey said the other day that like, you're going to see a rolling reentry of, mm-hmm. of, uh, return to, to normalcy and that, you know, certain businesses will be open before people are filling an arena. Well, a golf tournament is not an arena. It's played outside, which presumably would be safer than people packed in a Madison Square Garden. So it's just, um, I think, you know, if you're insistent on, on doing something, this would be a natural first step, but, but not without complications. Yeah, and I think from an atmosphere perspective, it's not unprecedented. There was a day at the Zozo mm-hmm. in Japan last October where there were no fans because of, of weather, and there was a day recently at Congressional yep. a couple of years ago where there were no fans after a storm. So it's not unprecedented. It's, it's definitely a little bit weird to have the birdies, you know, not reacted with, with claps, but – you know, people are saying, oh, there's, there's no tournament without fans. I don't think, with all due respect to the fans who are a big part of every tournament, what makes the players nervous and what makes things tense is, is not the fans. It's, it's the money on the yeah. line and it's the status. So I think from a competitive standpoint, it would be odd, but I don't think it would be crippling or super off-putting for the players. It would be kind of weird for the first day, and I think they would probably get used to it because there are a lot of tournaments also on tour that even if there are no fans, there are not that many fans, yeah. and yeah. they still play the tournament. So um, I, I don't think there's any worry about the integrity of the competition or anything like yeah. that it would just be a bit peculiar so let me ask you dan because you were at those other day when there were no fans so like was it airy plenty of space it's like we're not next to people like i'm just wondering like the logistics yeah. of practicing social distancing if you needed to could you do it yeah there was i think mean, the only people that were allowed that day were people with a season-long credential so like wives they have a credential that's season-long and play and coaches and stuff and player support so like managers were also allowed um, but yeah, no, you could definitely stay six feet away from people if you needed to. There's not that many people with a season long credential. So it's, it's definitely possible. Yeah. But part of me is skeptical. Like Sam says, I mean, you, you do need a lot of other people to kind of run these events and it, it would be very tough, even just a player caddy to maintain social distance. That being said, 
it's a well, let, let me, that being said, it's a, such a smaller group of people that you could have them all tested beforehand and you could know going in that everyone is clean of the virus and that way you monitor it that way. Um, so it, it, that's where I think not having the fans, obviously you're not going to do that with thousands and thousands of fans. Yeah. So I do think it could happen. And I agree with Dan. I mean, I, I don't think if you're watching on TV, I think you wouldn't even notice it after a little bit. Um, and for the players there, you know, some of them, you go out early and you're not a, a really a marquee group. You're, you, you don't really have that many guys following you anyway. So um, I, I think it, it's a good workaround. I, I hope that that is something that they pursue just because I do think they'd be able to come back quicker at least. Yeah, and all these people who are saying, oh, there's no, you know, I don't want a tournament about fans. That's ridiculous. Well, I think you have to say is, yeah, right, you just said it. Given the choice between a tournament with fans and no fans, all things being equal, you'd rather there be fans. But that's not what the debate is. The debate is, you look at the Valspar Championship or whomever, all these tournaments that have been canceled, the Blood of Texas Open, they would love to have had the option to have a tournament where they could broadcast on TV, people, you know, and and have something to show for it. So that's what you're weighing this against. Right, they're still not making as much obviously as if they had fans there buying merch buying food whatever but they'll take it because at least you're on tv and this and that you're getting some exposure um you know so but 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 maybe there are some sponsors who would say well i'd rather save my tournament that i've paid for and have it be like the full deal yeah and i think one of the other interesting byproducts of this whole thing is you're gonna get everyone's gonna play basically every tournament when this comes back, because everything's going to be so jam-packed, guys aren't going to be taking weeks off like they used to because they're going to need to accumulate points. They're going to want to you know, play as many weeks as they possibly can. So some of these tournaments, I think it was Houston, which used to be the tournament before the Masters and then got moved to the fall, is now once again the tournament before the Masters. <laughs> right. So someone like Rory McIlroy, who likes to play every week before a major, and there are other guys like that, Rory McIlroy would never, ever play the Houston Open in the fall, right. but now he's going to if it happens. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts this here. This is setting up well for Rory, got to admit. I mean, when, that, when, it, when the Masters in November first came out, he had that tweet about how cold the temperatures were, and I thought, oh, boy, he's already psyched himself out. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's, now he's talking a big game, and he's saying, maybe this is what I need to kind of yeah. uh, reverse the trend there. So uh, – he, he's he's getting he's, he's anti azalea yeah, he's, yeah. You know, he's not, no azaleas in the mix yeah. <laughs> allergies he, he can't deal with the allergies right. hey you mentioned azalea and i do there, there there are a couple nice stories we've been so negative so, so much negative news but some nice stories uh, sergio garcia second kid uh, a boy this time enzo no no master name but you said azalea that that uh, reminded me and that he actually dodged a little bit of a scheduling bullet there because uh, it, uh enzo was born the friday of what would have been the masters would have been interesting to see what sergio would have had to do uh another nice story uh, i i was able to track down uh, michael thompson former mm-hmm. u.s open runner-up former winner of the honda classic he just adopted a second child with his wife rachel um, and that happened just days after the players, which he had shot a bogey-free 68 on round one. He was feeling pretty good. Canceled yeah. tournament, but he obviously had bigger things on his mind. Uh, went and adopted a second uh, uh, child, uh, Laurel Marie Thompson. So congratulations to the Thompsons and the Garcias. We need some nice uh, stories. Yes. Love it. Love it. So anyway. anyway, guys, it was a lot of fun talking Masters. Uh, it was it ended up being a great weekend, I think, for, for everybody who, who watched. And uh, thanks again to Colin Morikawa. That was fun as well. Uh, please listen to us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Thanks to our producer. Thank you for listening. And please check back next week to see who our guest is.